Good morning, Hope Bell. If we could all please stand so we can give God some of our praise this morning. Isn't he great? He does some pretty great things, doesn't he? So this morning, our first song is going to be called Great Things. Um, let's just give him our highest praise and just thank him for everything he's doing and everything he's going to do and everything he's already done. worship our King. Come let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great
God, we're just so thankful for your love this morning. And we're so thankful to be able to come here and worship you together as a family. Thank you for always showing up. And thank you for never giving up on us. We love you so much. And we praise your holy name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. We're so happy that you could be here with us this morning. Um, we'd love it if you'd take a look around, see who's around you. Maybe there's somebody you don't know. Turn around and say hello to someone new. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Sam. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. It's a beautiful day to be at church today. Um, today is actually a really, really, really special, special day. And so if, if those of you who are maybe visiting with us, um, you're in for a special treat here today, and I'm going to get to that in a second. But if you are visiting with us, you got past the program as you walked in. If you could fill out the bottom of that, and as the offering plates go by, if you want to put that in there, or you can take it to our Welcome Center, and we have this special gift for you, a tumbler. Um, that we want to give to you to say thank you so much for being here. Well, I said earlier today is a very special day, and it is. And so, I, if Pastor Dan, if you could come on up, and Pastor Paul, come on up too. Today is Pastor Dan's birthday. <laughs> and he did not know I was going to do this. So, <laughs> Pastor Paul says, no, we don't, I don't need to be up here. So... <laughs> I hate these guys. <laughs> I, they are the worst. <laughs> so we don't do this often around here, but I just thought it'd be kind of cool because today is Pastor Dan's birthday. If we could all sing him happy birthday. Can we do that? All right. On three. One, two, three. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Pastor All right, happy birthday. <laughs> I'm amazed that uh, you didn't need the lyrics on the screen to, to sing that. And if, just one other thing, if you plan on doing this at 11.15, uh -huh. I'll act surprised, okay? Yeah, absolutely, so. absolutely. And if anybody asks, this was Pastor Billy's idea, so... <laughs> Oh, wonderful. Well, last weekend, uh, talk about celebration. Last weekend, we had a chance to do child dedication here at Hopevale on Saturday, November 9th. It was an awesome day. We're going to show some pictures um, about that day. 11 families and 13 kids were, were dedicated um, on that Saturday morning. And uh, we love these moments because it was a chance for us as a church to partner with the families. And it was a chance for these families to give their kids back to God. They realized that children are a gift from God to them. And they just want to turn around and say, God, we thank you so much for these children. And we're going to steward them in the best possible way and raise them in the best possible way we can. But we want to give them back to you. And a part of child dedication is making three commitments. Commitment number one is um, from the family to God, saying, God, we're going to do the best we can to raise these kids for you. The second, uh, the second commitment is from the family to the children, saying, we're going to do the best we can to provide an environment where you can come to know and follow Jesus in the best way possible. And then the third commitment is from us as a church family to those families, saying that we want to partner with you and provide environments so that coming to know and follow Jesus is an easier thing for you and your family and your children. And so as a part of partnering with those families, um, we want to do a recognition here this morning of those families within our congregation. So if you were a part of child dedication on that Saturday, would you guys just stand up? We want to recognize you this morning. So if there are any families that were there, 
Uh, there's some in the back there, awesome. Yeah, we absolutely love you guys, and we are so excited about that, um, what happened on that Saturday and what we get to do going forward from here. So, awesome. Well, you know, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward this morning and go into a time of giving. And um, I just thought, man, that's just a great connecting point of why giving matters. Because, because of your giving and your generosity, we are able to provide environments around here that help um, the, our families connect in and help our families come to know and follow Jesus in a better way. And so I can't think of a better thing to talk about when we talk about giving than, man, how life change can happen through a family. And so thank you so much for your giving. Your giving truly does matter. And so with that in mind and with the, the whole child dedication thing in mind, let's go to God in prayer this morning. God, we, um, we thank you for a morning where we can come and worship you. We can bow at your feet and we can say we love you and that we uh, want to run hard after you today. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to pray for these families um, that dedicated their children back to you last weekend. And God, we, may they... Um, find this church to be a place that loves families. May they find this church to be a place that's for their family. And may they find this church to be a place that wants to help them grow in what it means to know and follow Jesus in an amazing way. And God, as we give this morning, God, may you take the money that we give and use that to do great work and great ministry in the lives of our families and the lives of, of people here so that they can, they can come to know um, and follow Jesus in a, a deeper way. And God, that you would also use that um, these gifts, these offerings to further ministry beyond our walls, and that, uh, that the name of Jesus would go out and people would come to know Jesus in a very personal way and follow him in a very practical way. So thank you so much for this time to be able to get to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, feel free to stay seated while we receive the offering, and then we'll stand you in just a little bit. Take us in.
stand and worship with us?
before you and we just stay still. Be still and know that you are God. Lord, we just thank you for being our defender. We thank you for being ever almighty. And we thank you that you do great things. Just ask, Lord, that as we go through this message that you just touch every single heart in here. We thank you that you're present. And we just thank you for all that you are. We love you so much, Lord, in your holy, holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Once again, Hope Vale. Yeah, what a great day of worship. And I, boy, I think of this song Defender that we just did. And what a statement of faith it is. Because sometimes faith is just bowing down, worshiping, being still before the Lord God Almighty. That's not a cop-out. That's not a plan B. It's not a resignation, but sometimes that is the strongest move we can make. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God, or another translation says, cease striving and know that I am God. And I love that because so often I look at my life when things are hard, I double down on the striving, thinking, I'll just figure my way out of this. I'll just work harder. And God says, no, bow down, worship me. That's faith. And that's the series we've been in. Faith, life lessons from Hebrews 11. Let me use this time as well to welcome those of you joining us in Bay City. Great to have you along. I want to give a special shout out to Pastor Billy, who's leading worship out there in Bay City today. We've had him out there a couple times this fall and just great to connect our two locations and one church family. Well, I want to begin today as we continue our faith series with an obvious statement. Parenting is easy. (laughs) Parenting is easy until you have actual children, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the time that we are probably the most judgmental in our lives is that young adult stage pre-kids. And so we're at the grocery store, the restaurant, flying in an airplane, 
And right there in front of us is this out-of-control child throwing a tantrum, totally melting down in front of two capable and yet helpless adults, right? They hold jobs, they tell other people what to do, but right there they can't do anything. And so there we are in all our smug, idealistic sense going, well, when I'm a parent, right, my kids will never behave that way. I feel like I need to travel in a time machine and go, young Daniel, you have so much to learn, right? Like I said, parenting is easy until you have actual children. And once you're there, it is amazing the kind of stuff you find yourself doing you thought you would never resort to, right? Like, for instance, good old-fashioned bribery, right? If you behave while we're running errands, then maybe we'll go out for a treat afterwards. Now, I'm not saying that bribery was at the heart of every parenting decision we made, right? We had our fair share of because I told you so's, right? Stock parenting phrase. We also did have threats of genuine discipline. Still looking back, if I'm being honest, we were not shy to play the bribery card. Good behavior, check. Chores, check. Homework, good grades, check, check. We even had, get this, an incentive system for potty training, right? My favorite plan was us handing out a letter for every accident-free success until there were enough letters to spell out the words Chuck E. Cheese. (laughs) And once those words were spelled out, we took a trip to the region's finest dining establishment, yes. Don't laugh, it worked. And really, if you think about the economics of the whole thing, the cost of a couple pizzas and a lot of tokens pales in comparison to no longer having to buy disposable diapers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we came out ahead. Now, I, I'm kind of joking when I use the word bribery, you know, instead of something like reward. But even still, my point is this, that we as human beings, we are wired to respond to incentives. We're wired to respond incentives, and it's not just greed. And it's not just limited to childhood either. No, whether it's the workplace, the classroom, the fitness realm, the financial world, or even just society as a whole, we will make choices that do not come naturally to us if, if we know there is a bigger payoff waiting for us on the other side. Now, let me take this even a step further. Then it comes to our very existence. The creator God himself is not beneath using reward as an incentive to motivate us to do his will. He's not. Now, I realize that this very notion might rub some of you the wrong way, that it sounds demeaning to speak of God this way, that he has to bribe us to obey him. And I would completely agree that God in and of himself and all his splendor and glory is absolutely worthy of our worship and our obedience without any other stuff thrown into the deal, right? Even still, the Bible does not shy away from also portraying this same God as one who honors and blesses our obedience. As a matter of fact, we've seen this very thing since the beginning of our faith series in Hebrews chapter 11. One of our theme verses, verse 6, says this. 
And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to God must believe two things, right? And when I say believe, not just up here, but also in here, right? That one, he exists, that God is real, and two, that he rewards. That God in his heart, we've talked about this, is good, not evil. He is a rewarder, not a punisher, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That when we believe that God is real, he exists, that God is good, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You know, think about it, that after all, if we as human parents use incentives with our children, and why do we do that? We do that to lead them to what is ultimately going to be for their best. And how much more, why would we think it's any different with our Heavenly Father? And the way he treats those of us who, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, are his sons and daughters. God rewards those who earnestly seek him. That is the heart of God. That is the promise of faith. But then here's the challenge, right? Here's the challenge. It's not just do we really believe that and stake our lives on that. But the other challenge is this, can we and will we hold on to that promise when the reward doesn't come right away? When the reward doesn't come right away, because so often it doesn't. When every other force around us at the same time is conspiring against us to give up, to let go of our faith in the one true God, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, how can we hold on when the reward doesn't come right away? So that's what we're going to explore today as we continue our faith series, Life Lessons from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. A chapter known in the Bible as the Hall of Faith. Now in a moment, we're going to read through the story of another faith hero. But before we do, let's just quickly review where we've been so far. So how would you describe faith? Well, first of all, we saw this in the opening week, that faith is not seeing yet believing. Not seeing yet believing. That just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. That faith knows there's more to life than meets the eye and that the invisible is often more real than the visible. So even though we can't see God, even though we can't prove him, right, between the creation around us and our souls within us, the evidence is surely there, isn't it? That this universe did not come about by chance. That we are so much more than just flesh and bones. That we are created with a soul in God's image, by him and for him. And as the early church leader, St. Augustine, famously said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, O God. So faith is confidence in that, assurance in that, even in the midst of our most difficult circumstances, that faith doesn't need to see in order to believe. That was the lesson from week one and then last Sunday. So we walked through the story of Abraham, the father of God's first chosen people. We also learned that faith is not knowing yet trusting. Not knowing yet trust, not knowing the plan, yet still trusting in God. That the life of Abraham shows us that you don't need to know everything before you trust God with something, right? That's why I love the message of Hebrews eleven eight, the story of Abraham. Abraham, when called, obeyed and went even though he didn't know where he was going. Faith means we have to take the next step in trusting God even though we don't know the four or five after that, right? And so there are going to be those times when God leads us to take a quote-unquote leap of faith into an unknown future. 
And it breaks every control freak instinct we have. It forces us to rely solely on him. Even to the point of believing, like we saw last week with the story of Abraham and Isaac, that our God can do the miraculous. Believing that our God can do the miraculous. Science defying, death defeating, miraculous, like raising the dead. So that a leap of faith is really a leap into God where we trust him and not ourselves for our best possible future and unknown as it may be. Life with a capital L now and heaven forever, all because of Jesus. That's why you see this theme of faith all throughout scripture, right? Both in the Old and New Testaments, where our call to faith is meant to be comprehensive in a 168 kind of way, right? That faith isn't just confined to this one hour we share on Sundays. No, it is meant to influence every hour of our week, all 168 of them, in every area of our life. That's why the Apostle Paul in the New Testament states very succinctly the life of the Christian. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, for we live, other translations say walk, right? step forward in life, by faith, not by sight. Not seeing, but believing. Believing in a God who is good, who is for us, who is real, who rewards. And so as we go through this life, faith is the marching order. One step at a time for every believer in Jesus Christ, where faith affects everything in our lives, like financial decisions, scheduling obligations, career choices, relationship commitments, emotional investments, that nothing is off limit. When we live by faith, faith is not seeing yet believing. Faith is not knowing yet trusting. That's where we've been so far, but today as we return to Hebrews 11, we are going to look at the story of another great faith hero of the past, a man by the name of Moses. Moses. How many of you have heard of Moses before, right? Yeah. And I got to tell you personally, Moses is my guy. He's my guy that of all the characters in the Bible, he's probably the one I identify with the most. And one of the biggest reasons for that goes back to his calling. I mean, think about it. Last week, we read that Abraham, when called, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. The Bible tells us, though, that with Moses, when he was called, he said, who me? (laughs) What if this happens, God? What if that happens? Certainly, you must be mistaken, all the way to the point where we read this, right? He finally tells the Lord in this back and forth dialogue, Exodus 4, verse 13, Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. At least he was polite. I give him that much. Please send someone else. (laughs) Right? Wow. What a faith hero, huh? Please send someone else. Certainly this was not Moses' finest moment, and yet you know what? This is exactly the kind of person God uses to carry out his plans, to fulfill his promises. That once they look in what they have and realize they don't have what it takes, they get to that point at the end of themselves where all they have is faith, faith in God, and that is enough. So let's go ahead and dive back into Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to pick things up in verse 23. What I want to do is read through our passage for today first, and I'm going to return to the heart of what I believe that God has for us this morning. So Hebrews 11 verse 23 says this, that by faith Moses' parents hid him 
for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's or the pharaoh's edict. But the story of Moses doesn't begin with Moses. No, it begins with his parents who are living in the bondage of Egyptian slavery with the rest of God's chosen people. And it's them responding in faith instead of fear by preserving their son's life in defiance of the king's edict that all newborn Hebrew males were to be slaughtered. They acted in faith, which launched Moses' life, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now let's fill in some of the blanks here, right? That after Moses' parents hid him in a basket among the reeds on the banks of the Nile River, Pharaoh's daughter providentially finds Moses, adopts him, raises him as her own in the splendor of the most powerful empire at the time. Now talk about privilege. Moses wasn't part of the 1%. He was part of the 1% of the 1%. He had everything at his disposal, and yet after he had grown up, he turned his back on this lavish upbringing. Verse 25, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses chose... Now hold on to that thought. We're going to get back to it later on. Moses chose. Part of faith is the choices we make. And why did he choose? Verse 26. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. There it is. There's our word from the beginning, right? Reward. That somehow, planted in the midst of this sweeping narrative, tracing the thread of faith among God's people throughout history, there is also this mention of reward. So good, right? Let's keep on going, see what happens. Verse 27. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's, Pharaoh's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Faith is not seeing, yet believing. See, Moses actually left two different times. First time, he left in fear. After word got out that he had murdered an Egyptian overseer who Moses saw kill a Hebrew laborer. But this verse here refers to the second time Moses left Egypt, this time in faith as he led the exodus of God's people, persevering through Pharaoh's stubbornness against the Lord's ten plagues of judgment. And as part of that verse 28, by faith... Moses kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Remember back to week one that the writer of the book of Hebrews originally is writing to new Christian converts out of Judaism, a minority group back in the first century facing persecution. And so the goal here in writing isn't just to recount the stories of the Old Testament, but he's also drawing upon the imagery and the foreshadowing that pointed to the coming Messiah that found its fulfillment in Jesus. What's the imagery? Well, just as the application of the land's blood on the door frames of their homes in Egypt by faith spared God's people from the angel of death during that tenth and final plague, so too, by faith, does the application of Jesus' blood the Lamb of God, right? Over our lives, spare us from judgment of our sin. Verse 29. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. 
But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned, right? Again, walking by faith and not by sight, that it took faith for hundreds of thousands of God's people after leaving Egypt and being backed into a corner with Pharaoh's mighty army rapidly approaching to walk through the parted Red Sea. These gigantic walls of water surrounding them, raging on each side, stepping forward, relying only on God's promises. Again, another story of the unseen God doing the miraculous. From there, we're told that the Lord led the Israelites through the wilderness and toward the promised land. And that as this Exodus generation passed away in the desert because of their disobedience, the promises of God remained. The story of faith continued on. It's just like we saw last week with Abraham and how after his passing, the promises continued through his descendants. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And so in describing God's faithfulness to the next generation after Moses, we read this, verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho just on the other side of the Jordan River in the Promised Land, fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. God's story runs on faith. Generation after generation, it runs on faith. So that years, decades, centuries after that initial promise to Abraham, God's people finally enter into the promised land. And you know what's interesting here without getting too too much into the detail here? I find it interesting that the hero of verse 30, Joshua, who is Moses' successor, isn't mentioned by name. Joshua, as a book of the Bible named after him, isn't mentioned by name. But you see who is verse 31, the prostitute... Rahab. She's called out by name. And it's not because of her upbringing. It's not because of her religious background. No, it's simply because she responded with faith. And guess what? The Lord used her faith to accomplish his purposes. And not just in conquering the city of Jericho, but what was really mind-blowing is that hundreds of years later, the gospel writer Matthew tells us that Rahab is part of the genealogy of our Savior himself. Jesus Christ. It's incredible. You know, I think about her, and, and, and my word to some of you here is don't ever think that your past defines your destiny because it doesn't have to be that way. God is bigger than your past. Faith in God is stronger than your worst mistake. Rahab, through no fault of her own, grew up in an immoral pagan culture. Yet she had heard of the Lord's greatness, and that was enough we're told. Enough for her to believe in the one true God, and so it was Rahab's faith in the Lord that spared her from God's righteous judgment. Listen, I know that some of you here, you didn't have the privilege, right, of growing up with a religious upbringing. You didn't have a quote-unquote normal family, whatever that means, right? No, you lived among the disobedient. That was your normal. Even still, those barriers don't trap you. And they can't keep you from enjoying and entering into the capital L life and forgiveness and healing and peace that is yours by faith in Jesus Christ. By faith in the Son of God. By faith in the Savior of mankind. And so by faith the walls fell. 
By faith, not only was Rahab spared, but God used her to help accomplish his purposes, just like he can do with you and me and our generation. And let me tell you that there is no greater privilege, there is no greater pleasure in this life than being used by God for the good of others and for the glory of God's great name. That's what faith teaches us. Well, after walking through Moses' faith story, the stories of his parents before him and Joshua and Rahab after him, I want us to return to this idea of rewards and what it means for those of us who truly do want to live by faith and not by sight. So if faith is not seeing yet believing, if faith is not knowing yet trusting, then faith is also, like we saw with Moses, not applauded yet rewarded. Faith, a life of faith, is not applauded, yet rewarded. That if you think this world and the people around you are going to pat you on the back every single time you make a choice of faith in the one true God, then you will be sorely disappointed. Sorely disappointed because, listen to this, the life of faith is neither a life of universal affirmation, nor is it a life of instant gratification. The life of faith is neither a life of universal affirmation, not everyone's going to be for you, nor is it a life of instant gratification. There are rewards, but you're not going to get them right away, right? They are not part of the package deal if you sign up for a life of faith. No, your faith will not be applauded. But if you can keep hanging on to your faith in God, it will one day be rewarded, It will be rewarded, and when that day comes, you will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that it is more than worth it to live by faith. Let me show you what I mean. Let's go back to Moses' story, Hebrews chapter 11, really the guts of the passage we read today. Verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. The first word I want you to lock into here is refused, right? Now, just to be clear, when it says that Moses refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, this isn't some middle schooler who's ashamed of his mom and wants to be dropped off three blocks away from school, right? Yeah. Now, you know what Moses is refusing here? He is refusing his identity as Pharaoh's grandson. He is refusing his identity of heir to the throne of the most powerful empire at that time which means wealth beyond description, which means power beyond comprehension, which means pleasure beyond imagination, outrageous amounts of anything we could ever think we'd ever want and need. That's what Moses had going for him, and yet by faith, he refused all of it. He refused it. No, instead he made a choice, and look at the choice he made, verse 25. He chose to be mistreated. Mistreated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, I know most of us will never, no, all of us will never live in a palace like Moses did growing up. But you know what? We do share something in common. Choice. The power of choice. And the choices we make shape who we're becoming, and where we're heading. 
The choices we make shape who we're becoming and where we're heading. Now, in the case of Moses, look at this. He chose mistreatment instead of enjoyment. Think about that. He chose mistreatment instead of enjoyment. I mean, who does that? That's crazy, right? Unless, unless you see the enjoyment for what it really is. Look at these words, the enjoyment of the fleeting pleasures of sin. What a great description. Because sin, disobedience to God, choosing our will over his will, a lack of faith, you know what? It can be very pleasurable. It can feel very good. But you know what? It's also gone just like that. I'm reading through a book right now called Dope Sick. Dope Sick. Talks about the opioid and heroin epidemic in our nation these last couple decades. And every single personal story of severe addiction begins with someone who is either trying to seek pleasure or avoid pain. Seek pleasure or avoid pain. But here's the thing. Every addict will tell you that after that initial choice, they are always trying to recapture the feeling of that very first high, which will never happen again. It's the nature of addiction. Pleasurable but fleeting. And by the way, that's not just limited to drug abuse. I mean, we can come up with anything and everything. Food addiction, body image approval, casual intimacy, online pornography, career climbing. All these pursuits outside the will of God will fail you in the end. I think back to our first John series earlier this year, Confidence in the Chaos. How many of you were a part of that earlier this year, First John, right where the journals? Where the Apostle John commands us, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, verse 16. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the fleeting pleasures of sin, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Now here's the punchline, verse 17. The world and its desires pass away. They're fleeting. In light of eternity, they're gone like that. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. In other words, don't chase after the fleeting pleasures of sin. Don't make things and stuff and people your first love because when you do, yes, it'll feel good in the moment, but eventually it'll pass away and it'll lead you to ruin in the long run. So why in the world would someone choose the suffering of mistreatment instead of the thrill of enjoyment? It's because you see those pleasures for what they really are. And I know that some of us in here have firsthand experience of those painful lessons where we have learned that the hard way. We really have, and if anything, that's the thing that God used to drive him to himself. But you know what? Saying no, choosing mistreatment is only half the battle. Because faith means it's not just having a stronger no. No, faith also needs a better yes. It's not just about having a stronger no and refusing. It also means having a better yes. Verse 26, here's the key, pay attention. He, Moses, regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value. There it is, right? Greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Life is always about choices, people. It's always about the trade-offs we make. 
And I mean, if you're Moses, how in the world do you turn your back on the treasures of Egypt? How do you choose disgrace instead? Well, in the end, Moses is just like us. He chose really what was most valuable. He chose what would be eventually most beneficial to him in the long run in light of eternity. Of greater value because he was looking ahead to his reward. See, the real game changer here is that by faith, Moses saw all these things for what they were really worth. That the treasures of greatest value were not found in Egypt. And guess what? They're not found in America either. The treasures of greatest value are found in heaven and they're found in God himself. He is our treasure. Knowing him, loving him, serving him, worshiping him. He is our ultimate reward. It was true for Moses back then whose faith looked forward to the first coming of Christ. And it's also true for us as Christians, whose faith looks forward to the second coming of Christ. Again, going back to our first John series earlier this year, I think of the hopeful words that John writes, dangling this in front of us and encouraging us as Jesus followers to look up and to look ahead. First John chapter three, verse two, verse three. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know, by faith, with confidence, with assurance, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is in all his beauty and glory and splendor and majesty. And because of that, we choose and refuse all who have this hope in him, purify themselves, follow God's commands out of obedience, just as he is pure. That God himself is our reward. He is our motivation. Both refusing what is fleeting, choosing what is enduring because by faith our eyes are fixed on the risen, exalted, soon returning Christ, the only one who is truly worthy of our worship. So guess what? It's not wrong for us to be motivated by rewards. No, we just need the eyes of faith to know which ones in light of eternity are of greatest value. And then we hold on to that by faith until Jesus comes again. Well, as we think about Moses' choices and how his faith was fixed on his reward, I also want us to think about Jesus, our Savior, who when tempted in the wilderness by Satan himself, was not just offered the treasures of Egypt. Now, he was offered all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor, we're told. Matthew chapter four, verse nine. All this I will give you, Satan says to Jesus, if you will just bow down and worship me. All I did was bow down. All I did was worship. We sing that today. (laughs) We're told that this happens after Jesus had gone 40 days in the wilderness without food. His defenses are down. He's extremely hungry. And as a man, there had to be part of him. There had to be. In this third and final temptation, who was just tired of saying no and ready to make the trade. But he didn't. He didn't. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, out of obedience to his father and his love for us, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. This is Jesus both refusing and choosing because by faith he kept his eyes on the the, the value, the treasure of greatest reward, right? So just like Moses, just like Jesus, we too are gonna be tempted to make the trade in this life. 
whatever age, whatever stage of life we're in, to give our worship to something or someone else other than the Lord himself. See, this is where the power of faith comes in. And so as we close, I just want to leave you with this final thought, right? That faith is not just having a stronger no. Yes, there's a refusal, right? But we also need a better yes. It's also what we choose. It's also what we value. So keep chasing the greater reward of heaven and the glory of God. Keep chasing the greater reward of heaven and the glory of God. This is what faith does. This is what faith is. See, this is where I think so many Christians get it wrong. They're just trying to work on this first half. Resist temptation, gritting their teeth, clenching their fists, convincing themselves that they just need to keep on saying no over and over again. And yes, while the Holy Spirit does give us strength to refuse what is harmful, the Spirit also gives us power to choose what is hopeful. That's why a big part of growing in our faith is us chasing, to keep chasing after the greater reward of heaven and the glory of God. That's why church matters. It's why worship matters. It's why encouraging Christian friends matter. And so if you find yourself going through a hard stretch these days, where your faith feels like it's faltering, don't back away. Don't back away from church. Don't back away from people who can help you. No, double down. Double down on those people, those experiences, those environments that are going to remind your hearts of the treasures that matter most. Listen, God never told us that following Jesus is going to be easy, but by faith we can be confident it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. So let's be the kind of people. Let's be the kind of church that lives for, that longs for the better, yes, the greater rewards that are found in our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, uh, I realize that in talking and preaching about faith, that with hundreds listening, there are hundreds of different life situations, hundreds of different hardships, because it's hard. Life can be hard. We suffer loss. We suffer trauma. We suffer grief. And those things can rattle our faith. Faith that is never going to be universal affirmation. Faith that is never going to be about instant gratification. And so where we are weak, would you renew, by your spirit, renew our vision of who you are. That even though we cannot see physically, our eyes of faith would see you. Jesus, in all your glory and splendor. And that it would spark something within us that sees the cheap imitations, the hollow treasures of this world that are fleeting, pleasurable in a moment, but gone like that. But that you, Jesus, would be our treasure. And that we would chase after the reward of heaven, the glory of God. And that that would be a consuming, burning fire in us. 
And the way we're going to do that, Lord, is we're going to worship. We're going to trust and we're going to believe that we can keep hanging on by faith, empowered by your strength, knowing in the end one day it's all going to be worth it. Help us to hold on and give us faith in you, Jesus, the risen, exalted, glorious one. We pray all this in your name. Amen. One of the things that worship does is it lifts our eyes upward. Worship helps us live by faith and not by sight. And so we're going to close with a song that does that, that lifts our eyes to Jesus in all his glory and beauty and splendor and majesty. So let's stand together as the worship team leads us.
He is our everything. And we gather together every week to say, Jesus, I will still adore you. That's faith. That's faith. Next week, we're going to wrap up our series in faith, Hebrews 11. We're also going to share communion together as a church family. But as you go from here, keep chasing the greater reward, the reward of Jesus Christ. God bless you.